and welcome to A Truth Universally Acknowledged with me, Harriet Minter. This is the podcast for you if your favourite thing in the world is pre-ordering books which are not yet published, forgetting that you've pre-ordered them, and then giving a little jig of joy when they arrive out of the blue long after you've forgotten about them. It's the closest I can get to sending myself a surprise present without actually drunk ordering off Amazon. Coming up on this week's show, I'm faced with the question, is my book bad? I talk to prolific author and reviewer Sarah Manning about writing a really good romance, her love of London and our mutual adoration of dogs. And this week's creative prompt asks you to think about the other person in the room. up let's have some creative accountability how am I getting on with the book well I'm very much stuck in the weeds I've had a real crisis of confidence that actually the book isn't very good and I don't really know what I'm doing when I look at it logically I know that the writing is at least okay I know that I can be an okay writer and I also know that I can always make the book better at the end but and I think I've talked about this before, my perfectionist demon has struck. And when that happens, I find it really hard to keep going. So a few years ago, I discovered that procrastination is deeply linked to perfectionism. We're so desperate for something to be perfect and so upset that it's not, or so fearful that it won't be, that we can't actually move ourselves to do anything. Generally, when this happens, I find the cure is lots of self-care and self-compassion. So this week, I'm reminding myself of some of the creative exercises I've shared with you in the past, which focus on looking after yourself first and seeing if any of those can perhaps break the block. Mainly, I'm just trying to be kind. One of the things I loved about interviewing Sarah Manning is her straightforward approach to book writing. She has a process and she is dedicated to it. In our interview, she talks about shutting out the world and being almost possessive of her writing time. It has to come first, and she allows it to do that without any guilt or fear that it's the wrong decision. Sarah's book, Rescue Me, a story about a rescue staffie who brings two people together, made it onto my shelf of books that is my shelf where, when I know I will read something again and again because it's just so comforting, I put the books there. It's only one shelf, It has to be really good to make it onto that shelf. So obviously I wanted to talk to her about that book, but also about dogs and about writing a third character, a character that perhaps you don't expect in your book. This week's guest is somebody who I bought my first book of hers last year and I read it and it went instantly on my must keep forever because I'm going to reread it a thousand times bookshelf shelf. And I've just read her new book, which comes out in May, and I know it's going on the same shelf as well. So I'm now going to have to go back and read her entire back catalogue. It's the fabulous Sarah Manning. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Harriet. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So like I said, I only started reading your books last year, but you have an illustrious back catalogue, which I am super excited to get to know. When did you start writing your novels? I actually started writing teen novels, as we called them in that back then, because there was no YA. Um, so that was kind of, I let me think, gosh, it's 2003, I've been doing it a while. So my background was, 
I was on teen mags. I was on just 17. Um, wow. And that's kind of how I started writing fiction. I'd always wanted to write fiction, but it just seemed like a really sort of difficult closed shop to get into. I, <laughs> I tried to get an agent and being told to go away and that my ideas were too left field. And I actually started writing a fictional column while I was on Just 17 called Diary of a Crush, which was exactly what it says on the tin. You know, a moody... I, I read that. <laughs> <laughs> a moody called Dylan and a girl called Edie who's, you know, just figuring out kind of life and love. And that ran for about four or five years and I got my first book deal off the back of that, really. That's how I started writing and I wrote YA for quite a while but I always wanted to write grown-up fiction mm -hmm. and so my first grown-up novel Unsticky I think I published that in 2009 so that's why I've kind of like amassed quite a backlist just because I've been doing it for so long. <laughs> But that makes you the perfect expert to talk to because you've got all the experience and all the knowledge. You said you started writing what was then teen novels or YA and then you wrote a grown-up novel. How would you define the genre of books that you write? It's commercial women's fiction. It's also chick lit and like most women writing in that field, I kind of struggle with the term chick lit yeah. and then I just decide to kind of embrace it. You know, if it leads people to my books, that's great. I do think I'm slightly sort of the edgier end of chiclet. It's not so much cosy. It's very important to me that my books feel quite real and my characters feel quite real and the things that they do yeah. are real. So it's not so much sort of fantastical. It's so hard. Like when you meet somebody at a party or something and they say oh, what kind of books you write, it's just a question that I dread because whatever I say, it just sounds wrong. And I know that, you know, probably most male writers, whatever genre they're writing in, they just don't, they don't have the same problem and they probably don't have the same issues yep. talking about it. Well, and also I think like, I don't think people are asking them in the same way, are they? I don't think they're asking them as much. We'll talk about it in a bit more depth as we go through, but I've just finished reading your new book, London with Love, and I'm sure that you are going to get comparisons because of the structure of it to One Day by David Nichols. And I would argue that if One Day had been written by a woman, people would say it was chick lit. And I am sure that people have not said to David Nichols, oh, you're writing in the chiclet genre, are you? It feels like a sort of thing that we put more on women than we do on men. Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, that, um, I mean, I love One Day and I love David Nichols. And it's funny because when I was writing London with Love, I, I did struggle a bit with the structure. And I, and I was like, don't look at One Day. Just don't look <laughs> at One Day. You know, even if it's going to be helpful, you can't look at One Day. I mean, I do find the male writers of, of Chicklet, God, they have it made. They do have it much easier. Um, yeah. There's just so many writers, you know, who think of themselves as quite highfalutin literary types. I just think, dude, you know, you're writing a romance, so just, you know, wind your neck in. <laughs> <laughs> I won't mention any names, but, you know. <laughs> 
And um, and I also that there's like that there's something about not being allowed to appreciate those books either, not being able to kind of just say actually that that's my sheer joy and that's what I love. And um, again, in London with love, there's a lovely bit where one of your characters is um, she works in publishing, and I think she writes a piece for the Observer in defence of Jilly Cooper and why her love Jilly Cooper will always be her one true love. And I I was just like yes. Why? Why do we have to write those defense? Why do we have to write a kind of defense piece of loving what are brilliantly written, funny, commercially successful books? Not just Jilly Cooper, but books written by women in that genre. My favorite books are romances. I mean, I cut my teeth on my mother's Mills and Boone. <laughs> Interestingly, when I started writing my grown-up novels. I think this is really sort of common, but you're like, I'm I'm not writing romance, I'm writing relationships. And it was like a really big deal to me that I wasn't going to write I love you at the end, which is, you know, that real sort of trope of I love you. But, oh, my God, I love you too. I've loved you all along. And I was really sort of snotty about it. And then two things. I read this interview with Marion Keys and she just said it's just fucking rude not to give people a happy ending. I was like oh my god. <laughs> and then my best friend Kate is just covered in tattoos and she plays in like you know amongst tribute bands. She's the most rock and roll people I, I know. And she just said I love a happy ending. And it's true and I just sort of think that romance novels People always sort of say that they're really formulaic and you kind of know what the ending is going to be. But there's something really lovely about that, that, yes, you kind of know what that end point is going to be, but how you get there is a, a different matter. And I, there's plenty of other genres of novel that are formulaic. Mm. But I just think, you know, that's... God, especially at the moment where just everything is just grim and relentless... I do not want to be reading Tolstoy. I don't want to be reading anything tricky without speech marks. I just want lovely <laughs> optimism of a sort of romance novel. I think right now we all deserve a happy ending, quite frankly. I mean, there's so much I want to ask you this about actually your kind of viewpoint on life and love as well, because I also grew up on Mills and Boone, specifically my grandmother's Mills and Boone that I would like trade in the schoolyard <laughs> with my friends for their parents' Mills and Boone. Um, and I, I got to a point in my late 20s, early 30s, where I was actually quite, um, I felt I'd done myself a disservice or I'd sort of screwed myself over, really, for want of a better phrase, because I had fallen in love with all of these heroes in these books that came good in the end. <laughs> that you know behaved like idiots for 99% of the book but then in the end came good and got it right and I wonder when you're writing them and you're writing these characters and part of I guess the trope of writing any form of kind of romance romantic fiction is that there has to be miscommunications and misunderstandings and people have to behave badly and get things wrong but they also have to come back together in the end how do you create characters where Actually, you can make them three-dimensional, difficult, sometimes bad, sometimes nasty people who we are still rooting for at the end of a book. The, I just don't think that people are fundamentally bad. People might do bad things in my books, but I don't think I've ever had particularly kind of like a male love interest where he's just awful and he's redeemed by love because, you know, that is just 
look at all these red flags. You know, he's not going to be redeemed by love. He's going to just be like an emotionally abusive, gaslighting <laughs> dickhead, you know, after you finish the book. So I think that bad things can happen to good people and that we carry that baggage and we wear those scars along the way. And it's just about taking the reader on that kind of emotional journey where the characters sort of have to look into themselves to realise that they're kind of worthy of love. Particularly Rescue Me, Will has had a really difficult childhood that has given him trust issues and has closed him down emotionally and um it's not so much margot that batters those walls down it's the dog because as we both know when you have a staffy you know you cannot be closed off it's like i love you let me love you but also my characters are just so real to me because kind of how i write is in an ideal world i percolate an idea for quite a while I don't just get an idea and just sit down and write. So by the time I do come to write, those <laughs> characters have just been in my head for quite a few months and they're very real. Yeah. They're very fleshed out to me. They are just completely three-dimensional. I just see them like a film running in my head. And interestingly, when I'm fleshing them out, it's kind of like the little incidental things that really builds them up as a character. So in London with Love... Nick often says to Jen, the heroine, in just this kind of quite gentle, not in a horrible way, just don't be a twat. That was just such a good key to his character. I would find it very hard to just sit down day one and just build a character and just like, he's got this and he's got that. They have kind of come to me sort of quite organically, but... <laughs> You know, I do think when I worked on magazines, we would do this thing called a reader map where we all had like an ideal reader. So it was kind of like this composite of what we wanted the reader to be. And it was kind <laughs> of like, what does she have under her bed? What does she play when she's getting ready to go out? You know, what's her perfume? Just those really kind of incidental small things that actually make a person real as opposed to the trauma that they experience the past relationships they've been in the minutiae to me is just so interesting and that's what i really love and sadly that's all all the stuff that has to get taken out a lot of the time because i'm a real overwriter i will always turn in a manuscript that's too long can i ask you a bit about your process then which is you know, you say you have an idea and it percolates. I guess because I feel like you've written so many books, is there a process that you go through that you're like, oh, okay, this is the idea, I've got it, it's, this is the one I'm going to stick with for the next few months, and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that, or is it different for each book? It's really just sometimes you get an idea and you fall in love with it, and then through circumstance that can't be the idea. I'm actually just about to start writing a new book, have a new contract and um, the idea that I had that I was so excited about and I'd started to percolate, I realised that could not be the idea because um, I spoke to a friend of mine about it in really vague terms and it turned out that she <laughs> seemed to be writing something quite similar. And then I there was a book coming out this year and I thought, oh, gosh, that's a bit similar. And it was just like, hmm, OK, I need another idea. It's actually an idea that I've had for so long. I've had it for about 10 years. And every now and again, I would idly mention it to my agent and just say, this is quite a good idea. I don't know how to write it. 
but this time it was like I know how to write this and it is really exciting it's kind of giddy and it's a little bit like falling in love it's all that you can think about you know that it's the right idea because it is all that you want to think about it's really immersive the other night I was just about to go to bed and I couldn't go to bed because I suddenly got my killer last line ah. so when I say I percolate I mean it's a real process and then I'm an outliner I just I don't approve of pantsers I just like what the hell is he doing so <laughs> next week when I start writing what I will do is I will write an outline but it's not so much writing it as I'm downloading it from my head and they're very long they usually end up being about 10,000 words long wow I try to do it as a chapter by chapter outline but in that isn't just the plot but it's like snatches of dialogue it's scenes that I've already got there will always be a sagging middle section that I'm not quite sure what I'm doing <laughs> with I'm happy to take a good two weeks to do that that outline is just fundamental to my writing process so much so that I have actually when I've been writing just thinking this is not working and I have gone back to fix the outline wow so once the outline is done I start writing and I just write. I just bang out that first draft as quickly as I can. I'm a big fan of the Pomodoro technique. Love the Pomodoro. Because I am just the most distracted person. I love writing, but I will find any excuse in the world not to do it. And I just find people really hate me when I just say I will do four Pomodoros in like one session. My goal is to always write two and a half thousand words for that day wow. and I expect to have that first draft hopefully done in sometimes it's been six weeks sometimes it's been 10 12 weeks because I know that I don't really know what I'm writing until I've written the first draft I kind of know what the plot is but the themes emerge so for me I do all my heavy lifting on the second draft so I'd rather just get the first draft out of the way done as quickly as possible and I never go back and look at what I've done I just believe in moving forwards don't get it right just get the thing written and I actually enjoy the second draft more than I enjoy the, the first draft because that is when <laughs> the true story emerges so second draft I do big structural things big thematic things and then the third draft is sprinkling on the magic dust polishing making it the best it can possibly be mm. but also acknowledging that i've still got a way to go and then the end of the third draft is when i hand in to my editor and agent i don't do writing groups i don't have writing buddies it's just that process of writing those three drafts is just a relationship between me and the story i love that i mean i am sort of quite hardcore it's a bit of a torturous process but it is what works for me do you find it I, I think I know what your answer is going to be to this but do you find it isolating in that period where you're like it's just me in the book love it even before you know yeah. we locked down it was just like why why the fuck are you ringing me when I'm trying to write because <laughs> 
I live in this world. It's lovely. I mean, it's just complete full on like method. So much so that even with London with love, I'm still finding it quite hard to let Jen and Nick go because I just lived with them for so long. And it is quite interesting that people always just say, oh, you know, that if you sort of outline, the thing about outlining why a lot of writers don't like it is they feel there's no surprises, there's no mystery, it's not as enjoyable. But to me, it is. And there's just this real sort of buzz you get from telling this story and letting this world be created. Listening to you, it's like listening to somebody in the first throes of a love affair. Right. So it's like, you know, when you fall in love with somebody and you have that kind of blissful first three months where it's just like everything they do is delightful. You only want to be with them. Every new thing you learn about them is like this another joyful surprise. And actually, you want to block out the rest of the world because you are creating your own little world with that person in that time and space. And listening to you talk about the writing process, it sounds it's almost a similar kind of love of it. It is similar, but also you're catching me before I've started writing. I always think of this Iris Murdoch quote, every novel is the wreck of a perfect idea. (laughs) It's so true because before you write it, it is just this beautiful concept. It's just going to be the best book ever. It's just going to be exquisitely raw. And then it's kind of like week three, sagging middle section. So um, you, you have caught me in the honeymoon stage of book conception. Eight weeks down the line, I might be singing a different tune. So I want to ask you, when you start, do you start with your characters or with an idea? And I ask this because... The two books that I've read recently, um, Rescue Me and London with Love, they have at their heart a kind of two-person love story. But there's also, for me, it feels like a third character in both of them that drives the story. And for with Rescue Me, which is obviously the reason that I picked it up, because the true love of my life is my little Staffy Blue, the thing driving the story is the Staffy that they the two yeah. characters rescue together. And then in London with Love, there's almost this third character in London itself and the heart of London and the experiences of it. And so I was wondering, do you start with your characters or do you start with that kind of that idea bit? I start with the idea, but, you know, the characters quickly become mixed up in that. With Rescue Me, it's really weird because both those books are very sort of personal in a way that, you know, often my books... Uh, Rescue Me because basically it's a love story about my own staffy mm. Betsy and actually Blossom's arc in Rescue Me follows Betsy's story quite faithfully. So um, weirdly, when I started planning Rescue Me, it was very odd. I've never actually had that happen before, but I'd lost Betsy about three months before went out for my birthday dinner with my friend. Along the way, I bumped into this woman I know who actually shares a dog with her best friend, Ah. Oscar. I've just always loved the idea that they've dog-shared Oscar, now sadly got his angel wings. Um, They both work in the same office, so sometimes I'd see Oscar with one of them, sometimes I'd see Oscar with the other one. Went off to have my posh... Franco Manco <laughs> and my friend was saying to me do you think oh, you'll get another dog and I was like 
you know it's very hard to have a dog when you're a single person it's a big mm-hmm. commitment. and then yeah. 20 minutes later I said it would just be so great to be able to do a dog share like with Oscar and then I was like don't even talk to me and having an idea <laughs> it just dropped into my head when I say I had the first line I had the last line I, just, I had the title wow you know it was my birthday present just suddenly dropped into my open hands and I have never had that before I know that I will never have it since it was just an absolute gift but even but even so I didn't actually start writing it for just various kind of boring reasons I didn't start writing that for like a couple of years I mean, I knew that it was going to be Betsy's story of, you know, this broken, shut down, abused dog just blossoming into a bougie North London (laughs) dog. You know, with London with Love, it was slightly different. But again, it's, it's a really personal story. So it basically goes from 1986 to 2005. So it starts with the heroine, Jennifer. She's 16, going to college. And it doesn't follow her every year. You sort of dip in and out of those moments in her life. So it's 1986, then it's 1988, and then she's doing an MA, and then it's like her wild 20s. And a lot of what Jen was doing, I was kind of doing at the same time and experiencing those parts of London. But as I was writing it, we were in lockdown. Ironically, kind of the premise of London with Love is kind of about tube stations and tube journeys because it's a novel written kind of before social media, before mobile phones. So Jen and this guy, Nick, they have this on-off relationship, friendship thing, and there will be like years when they don't speak to each other. And back in those days, if you wanted to ghost somebody or cut somebody out of your life, it was quite easy to do. Quite easy. You would just bump into them. And I've had so many moments in my life where such significant things have happened in and around the tube because it's where you always meet somebody. You'll say, okay, yeah, I'll meet you at Gooch Street or I'll meet you by the ticket barriers. So, you know, especially when you live in London, I always just think of those tube lines as just like the veins, like pumping blood (laughs) around the city and so you you just you say hello you say goodbye just all these moments that you have so we were in lockdown and I just sort of realized that I was writing about a London that I've lived in all my life but it's a London Mm. even before the pandemic just had ceased to exist it just doesn't exist anymore and I really miss it as much as I miss being 16 as much as I sort of miss those wild peeled up nights out that I had in my 20s <laughs> but I think in a way that's kind of how I worked through that really awful you know 2020 of just mourning everything that I have lost and knowing that when we came out of it we, life wasn't going to be the same again yeah I hope that's kind of what I've really captured and just sort of told it through the city really when I was reading it I had that really beautiful um that thing that happens sometimes when you read books and you recognize parts of your own experience in books so you recognize the places that they're talking about or the experience of you know running for the last tube because you live too far out and if you've gig has just finished and if you don't get on the last tube you're not going to make the train if you don't get on the train that's it you're stuck and he said part of the thing that has weirdly 
changed so many of those experiences for us is that now if you're stuck you call them you call an uber and you get an uber or you can at least call your mum and be like uh i'm stuck can you come and get me which in the kind of 90s early 2000s it wasn't possible and that sort of that in a way that you know i guess you're not cut off but in comparison to how you are that cut offness made for those adventures it made for those talking to the random people and losing your friends at a club and not being able to find them again so having to go on and do something different and I really when I was reading London with Love I was really transported back to that time in my life when you were just getting all your freedom and all your excitement and you are free you are a small person in a big city and you really feel it um which we don't now we should say that kind of at the end of the book there is a chapter actually about lockdown so about that kind of lockdown period and it's the first piece of writing that I've seen about lockdown, really. Like the first kind of fictional piece of writing I've seen about lockdown. Do you think people can write novels? And particularly, do you think you can write kind of women's commercial fiction about the lockdown period where we were so stuck in our houses and not doing anything? I think you can. I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote London with Love, and I set it in the past because most of the action happens kind of between 1985 and 2006. Is you know, it's what I said to you before that my not I feel like my novels are quite real, they're sort of embedded in reality, they're not fairy tales. And I thought when I started writing it in 2020, I do not want to write a pandemic novel. But at the same time, I don't want to ignore the pandemic. So my only kind of solution was to go back into the past. But then by the time I'd written it, big things kind of occur. So Princess Diana dying, 9-11, the London bombings. And it was, you know, I wanted to write an epilogue because I'd left them in 2005. And, you know, I just think it'd be nice to drop in. But it's also, I've mentioned all those things. Of course, I'm going to write about the pandemic. And it was quite Mm. interesting to sort of process it and write about it. I do wonder how it's going to go down because I just know some people that are like, nope, nope, nope. I don't want to read about the pandemic. I'm just not interested. I have already read a couple of books. There's um, The Fell by Sarah Moss, which takes place in a lockdown and a woman sort of goes out walking on the fells and has an accident and um, has to be rescued. And it's the point of view of her and her son and I think her neighbour. And that was quite a literary way of doing it. It was very powerful. And then I read a thriller called Her Perfect Twin by Sarah Bonner. And it was very interesting to me. She set it during the pandemic, but she did it in such a brilliant way that actually all the things that happened in the pandemic she used as plot devices they really sort of dictated the pace of the novel and I thought that was quite clever and even this year there are a couple of romance novels there's um Beth Recalls who did The yeah. Kissing Booth I think she's done Love in Lockdown which is set in kind of an apartment building yes I think I've seen that yeah and then um Cressida McLaughlin, she's written this book called The Staycation and it's not specifically about a pandemic, but it's about a guy kind of trapped in a hotel room because he's kind of um, injured (laughs) and a travel agent who's too frightened to to ever get on a plane recreating her so-called favourite city breaks for him. I know that Cress wrote that during lockdown and I thought that was quite a clever way 
of kind of addressing that experience of being sort of shut in and not being able to do the things that you wanted to do, but doing something really gorgeous and romantic with it. And interestingly, the book that I'm going to start writing is just going to be set now in this kind of new world that we live in where, you know, there's lateral flow tests and because mm. I just sort of feel this is reality now and it just carries on. It's like, you know, if I read a book that was based in London in 1942 and it didn't mention the Second World War, I'd be like, you know, what's going on? So it is interesting, but I know that there are a lot of refused nicks and I have read a lot of books that are set in the here and now that just don't mention the pandemic at all. And I still sort of really enjoyed them, but um, it is just an interesting decision that writers are going to have to make. It's really interesting. Sarah, it's been so lovely listening to you and learning from you and yeah just getting a little insight into your into how you write and I'm very inspired to go away and actually try and fall in love with the writing process a little bit at least for the beginning couple of weeks. I really hope you do because there's nothing like it when it's going well it's just lovely it's it is like falling in love it's all that you want to do and I think just sometimes there's so much buzz around but basically this is me being quite hard line again just <laughs> to basically get your ass into that chair get your head down set the stopwatch on your phone for 25 minutes and just get going the other thing that I do actually just one really practical thing I do is I write my word count every day on the back mm. of an envelope and I hold myself accountable by actually posting each week on Instagram but it's quite interesting to just see this book emerge from nothing so you start the first day I've written 2,000 words and then by the end of the first week if everything's going to plan you've got 12 and a half thousand words you know and then in two weeks you've got a quarter of a book and there's just mm. something so satisfying and validating and kind of encouraging to actually just see that word count increase in a way that doesn't really happen when you're just looking at it on your computer so I would actually say write it on for me it's always a scrabby coffee stained piece of paper but you know you could just do it in a really sort of lovely way sort of like a nice notebook but I just find that writing my word count down every day and seeing you know that even if it's absolute rubbish there's a there's a book here it's book length I love that idea you'll do it I hope so do you know I have I have a lovely assistant who I work with and she is she's also a writer she writes beautiful poetry and um, I was talking to her yesterday and I said do you know what I've had another idea for a book and I just think it's a brilliant idea and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stop writing this book and I'm going to start writing this new one because it's so good. And she looked at me and she went, don't you dare. <laughs> I was like, okay. You're literally finding any excuse you can <laughs> to just like not. I mean, the podcast is brilliant, but as a procrastination technique go, <laughs> it's a good one. It's just, just right. I know it's, you know, it's just the most obvious thing to do, but just, just right. Just carve out that time every day and just just bash it out it doesn't even matter if it's awful I just find that sometimes yeah. I'm just typing I'm not writing but the more that my fingers are just bashing on those keys eventually it turns into writing I love that 
Thank you so much. Um, we should say London with Love is out in May. Um, I cannot, honestly cannot recommend it highly enough, particularly if you have ever lived in London, if you currently live in London, or if you're one of those people that deserted London during the pandemic and you want to feel bad about that decision, this book is going to make you heart lawn for London. It is beautiful and I really loved it. Sara, thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. That was Sarah Manning. Her new book, London with Love, is available to pre-order now. And if you've ever lived or wanted to live in London, or if you grew up in the 90s or 2000s, then I promise you will love it. Also, pre-ordering is the greatest gift you can give an author. It basically tells Amazon and all the big bookshops that their book is exciting and so they should stock lots of copies and give them lots of support. And if you're an author and you are feeling that love in the run-up to your book being published, which is a terrifying period, it's just the best thing that can happen. So if you really want to support authors, don't just give them your money. Give them your money before the book is out. It makes the biggest difference. Now, I thought I'd take Sarah's love letter to London as inspiration for this week's Creative Booster. Very straightforward. Write a love letter to the place you live. As ever, of course, you don't have to actually write this. You could draw it, sculpt it, do an incredibly intricate cross-stitch, anything that stretches your creative muscle. And if you don't love where you live, then how can you find a way to celebrate it anyway, in all its dingy gloriousness? ever i'd love to see your efforts so do tag me on instagram at harriet minter or if you don't want to share it with the world you can always email me harriet.minter at gmail.com next week i talk to first-time author lizzie damalola blackburn about learning the craft of writing and why she only wanted good men in her book for now though if you've enjoyed this episode do leave me a little love letter in the reviews section and let me know until next week <laughs>